Hey everyone, this is Farron, just with a quick note. This is the very last episode of Try This Game. And at the very end, after we've reviewed our two games, we're going to talk about that. So stay tuned, and we hope you've enjoyed the journey, and let's bring it to a close. Every gamer has that one game they want all of their friends to play. Maybe it's old. Maybe it's new. Maybe it's obscure. Or maybe it's the game that everyone is playing. Whatever it is, it's that one game you love to talk about. Join us as we ask each other to try this game. Hey, Farron. Would you like to hear? Uh, would you like to hear a story? Stop messing with my mind. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to mess with your mind, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to mess with the story. I mean, I'm going to tell you that you should turn left at the door and go to the meeting room, but there's also a door that's open on the right, and if you'd like, Stanley, you could go that way. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, let's get into talking about the Stanley Parable, which is which is our game for the day, our first game for the day. Uh, this was produced and developed by a group called Galactic Cafe in uh, conjunction with another development group called Crows, Crows, Crows. Uh, you can currently find this available for Windows, OS X, and Linux. And the Stanley Parable is a walking simulator, general critique on, oh god, existentialism, choice in gameplay, uh, narrative problems with a, a linear narrative. Uh, it, was, it was originally made as actually a mod for Half-Life 2 that came out in 2011. It wound up being right, released as, yeah, it, it got released as a, a full game in October 2013 for Windows. Uh, there's, a, they were going to be making an expanded version of this that was supposed to come out in 2019 called the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, but then you know the Panini happened, um, and uh, you're maybe this might be the one reference that you had of this game before you'd ever actually played it. It appears in season three of House of Cards. I've never watched that actually. Oh, I thought you had. Okay, never mind. Uh, but anyways, so yeah, the Stanley Parable, big walking simulator, big ideas, um, very, 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 very one note, definitely not an action game. But why don't you tell me about your first experiences of playing this? Well, the um, the horde mode was was a questionable <laughs> quality, but the chase between buildings flying the uh, the F-14 fighters was pretty cool. Especially oh, that's with fair. the Top Gun music in the background. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, um, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to buy the games. I knew like first person shooter. I was or first person game. I wasn't going to get far into it. So I just went and found the demo. Though it turns out Epic gave me the game for free at some point. I had forgotten that. So I played the demo and it's like, wow, this game's going to screw with me. Like this game is just, it's all about screwing with you. Mm -hmm. And all at once, I don't like games that do that. I mean, I don't mind games that, that, uh, that screw with your expectations a little bit, but I don't like games that will look you in the eye and say, I am going to mess with your head. It's not why I play games. I kept thinking back to a particular scene uh, from, of all things, Mission Impossible, the first one with Tom Cruise. Really? Where it's right near the end, where Jim Phelps reappears, turning out not to have died, and he describes what happens. And as he's describing what happened, you see what happened. And if you're a lazy audience, you don't notice that he's telling you the bad guy's got him, but he's showing you that he's the bad guy. Yeah. So the, so the, the director 
Brian De Palma is essentially looking at the audience and saying, screw you, I'm smarter than you, because I'm <laughs> going to show you this and you're still not going to get it. Because while Jim Phelps talks about how he was ambushed, you're watching Jim Phelps fake his own death. Right. Um, and a lot of people, I think, just sort of don't, they, they don't clue into that. And then they go, wait, he's the bad guy? I, I, like, I don't get it. Despite the fact that Brian De Palma showed you. Like, showed you. And this that scene kept popping up in my head. The idea that the developers are out to mess with your head and hope you're smart enough to follow along. Mm-hmm. You know, it also reminds me of We Happy Few, which is a weird game that I would love to play, but I can't. Because yeah. it's first person. But the same idea of nothing is what it seems. And games like that always tend to rub me the wrong way. Though this one, again, it's the demo, and I have no idea how much it reflects the game other than the tone and the ideas. Right. And all at once, I was very impressed with the way it was built. It's a very minimalist design, and it's clearly quite clever. But I recognize this is a game that not in a thousand years would I ever buy. And <laughs> I'll never, ever play it again. Not because I hate it, because I don't. But just because when I play a video game, I don't want you screwing with me. There's okay. nothing wrong with faking me out. I don't mind head fakes, but I don't like being screwed with because I think it's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this game was out to disrespect me. If that sounds weird, probably, I guess. But I, I don't entirely agree that it's a game that's out to screw with you because it, it leaves, so it, in the full game, it gives you a linear narrative of what appears to be a linear narrative. The narrator consistently says, and then Stanley did this, and it leaves you the option to go and do that. And it's more of an opportunity for you to screw with the game. Yeah. It it lets you argue with the narrator, not not verbally, but by not doing what he wants. You know, if you if you make the right choices, eventually you wind up in a stairwell, and the narrator says, "When well, then Stanley went up the stairwell." And if you go down the stairwell, then you wind up in this loop for about six minutes, where Stanley eventually goes insane, and you. He wanders out into the street and dies. <laughs> uh, there's another another one where you can, you know, consistently do something that the narrator doesn't want you to do. And then he says, you know what? Fine. Obviously, you don't want to play this game. Let's make a game you want to play. And he turns <laughs> it into like a duck hunt first person shooter. Or, oh, Jesus. No, Sorry, it's it stopped the baby from crawling into the fire by repeatedly shooting targets. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like, like yeah, I mean it's a you know the game itself is your opponent and I kind and, and again I don't mind that but it's so not mm-hmm. my thing. It's yeah. Anyways, it's it's one of these games where like you your entire job is to mess with the game and to explore and find different things. I think I counted it up. It's got like 20 ish different endings that you can oh, find through this game. And some of them are very very obtuse. Mm-hmm. Like. There's no reason that you should be able to find these things without uh, a full walkthrough guide. There's yeah. even even in the Steam achievements is this reflected. One of the achievements is called unobtainable, and you're not allowed to get that achievement. <laughs> just, just can't. But you can by going into the files and editing the <laughs> editing the exec file, and then you can suddenly have the achievement. Oh. Um, there's another one called Go Outside, which is don't play the Stanley Parable for five years. And I have that one. I earned that in 2019. <laughs> That's uh, it, it is so, so, so neat. It's 
like I like I said earlier, it it talks a lot about existentialism. It really gets into like what does it mean to be a person and why do you choose to do the things that you do? Who are you and are you really doing things for yourself or are you doing things because you feel that you need to because society is uh, has lent you that way? Uh, it talks about you know the it, it just it blatantly makes fun of how stupid it is to try and write a linear narrative for a video game. It doesn't make sense when yeah. the player in theory should have the autonomy to just walk off a cliff and not do the thing mm-hmm. like it then it's it's pure video game logic that any video game actually happens it's yeah this it's it's this whole exploration of that and i like i i've i've said it before i really enjoy games that sort of are are critical of themselves it really it sort of harkens back to like Majora's Mask for me where it says all right well let's talk about all the things that could go wrong here and all the things that don't make sense Mm -hmm. yeah it's you know it's a video game about video games yes and it's a video game about gamers and I don't mind that if I'm going to read philosophy I'd rather you know read philosophy fair uh, you know or or encounter it in a film so I'm not the guy who plays the Stanley Parable, but I'm the guy who watches The Green Knight because, or mm-hmm. The Tree of Life by Malick, and I don't need the action. I like to think deep thoughts, and I like movies that challenge me, but for video games, I don't want that. Okay. Um, but Stanley Parable is, I recognize it is a, it's a standout, it's well thought of. Mm-hmm. It's just not my thing, yeah. but I look at it, and I think good on the developer for saying, you know what, let's do something very different. And it won't work for everyone. I think we talked about this way back when we did Satellite Rain, is that games like this, there was a point where they weren't getting made. Like, as you say, this was a mod for frickin' Half-Life 2. How old is that game now? 20 years? <laughs> something um, like that, yeah. Which means that this guy didn't think anyone would ever make the game, so he just went and made it himself. And we live in an era now where any game can be made because there's always because there is in fact a market for everything and that's pretty great that this game can exist because there is a market is it a huge market no is this guy going to be made a multi-millionaire from selling this game no but he made a game he wanted to make unapologetically and was successful yeah. and it's a it's there for the people who want it you know and it's no different than Domina or Satellite Rain or any of these other games that were the people who made them knew they were not going to be you know billion dollar hits and million you know million copy sellers. They made the game they wanted to make to make their own statement about the art form, and they just did it. And I like that. Yeah, you know, I really like that. Very much. I, I agree. It's it it is really empowering to be in a point in time where. No, people can make the game that they wanted to play. Yeah. And it's 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 always and this is that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very much so. This is definitely not for everybody, but it is for some people. And you know, it's it's games like this, uh Crows 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 also made a not follow-up game, but a, another game in a in the same style called um what was it? Hang on one second. I need to actually double check the title because it's very long. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Langeskov, the Tiger, and the Terribly Cursed Emerald, a whirlwind heist. And Jesus. 
It takes about 15 minutes to play, and it is, again, uh, a subversive title. Uh, if you go and read the Steam reviews, they talk about what it's like to be uh, in the rooftop chase sequence and in the car driving sequence, and they talk about all of this. And it's the exact same joke that you made at the beginning of this very episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but it's, it's you know, the same same kind of game. It's the same yeah. same similar joke, but a lot shorter. It's You play it in, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and it's free, actually, on Steam. If anybody wants to go and give it a shot, uh, I highly recommend you you play it before you hear anything else about it if you're interested in it. It sounds like a home, which you really are only intended to play once or twice, mm -hmm. and the whole game takes about 10 minutes to play. Very much so, yeah. And, yeah, it's I don't mind games like that because the game is about here is something I did. Mm -hmm. Look at my skills. I guess as much a, um, a resume builder as anything else, but, you know, this is I mean, this is much more than that, clearly, Stanley. But, oh, yeah. Um, you know, I... I appreciate it. it's like some of the games you give me I say I don't like them but I respect them and this is one of them okay well I think that that's fair enough I mean it's it's a game where I'm not I it's weird because this is now a game where I can say I'm, I'm really not going to go back and play this because I've played the hell out of this game yeah um and I I'm pretty sure that I've got all of uh, all the achievements in this and there's there's only so much that you can do with it like yeah. once you've gotten the achievement where you don't play it for five years like, there's yeah. not all that much else there so i think the only um, game i have a full achievement list on is homeworld i think it's the only one so, okay I have so, every achievement yeah sorry uh, i lied i i do not have the achievement for play the stanley parable for the entire duration of a tuesday um i don't have that achievement. 24 hours well i guess you could turn it on and walk away that's that's it yeah so but yeah i'm I'm probably not going to go back and play this much because I've played the hell out of it. I've got, you know, five and a half hours logged in the Stanley Parable, and that's about as much as you're going to get out of that game. Yeah. Maybe when when and if they produce the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, I'll go back and see what they add into it. But, I mean, they've been quiet on production of that since, like, 2019, so I don't even know if oh, it's going to happen. Oh, you're not joking. It's a real thing. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, I thought you were joking. No, 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 no. That's that's actually the thing that they're doing. It's it's an expanded and okay. uh, a, a revamped version of the Stanley Parable with more stuff in it. Oh, okay, that's yeah, whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I guess that, that that about wraps that one up. So there it is. There it is. Adam, how would you like to go after dead Hitler? Uh, didn't we do this last week? Yeah, I know, right? This is a little different, but we're not actually going to call him Hitler. We're going to call him Master D. There's famously. a lot of jokes to be made there, but I'm going to leave oh, them alone. Oh, yes, there are. <laughs> not Master B, but anyway. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> wow. Okay, so we're talking about an old NES game called Bionic Commando, which was put out by Capcom. It's for the NES, so you're either going to download it as an emulator, shh, don't do that, or I imagine it's available on whatever virtual console Nintendo is running these days. Uh, there was a full-on remake called Bionic Commando Rearmed, which we'll take some time to talk about. And then there was a third, a weird third-person shooter called simply Bionic Commando. 
which was a third-person shooter where you were dealing with an attack by aliens on New York, uh, New York City, and your arm had an artificial intelligence, which was actually your dead wife. It's very weird. Huh. Um, it's very silly, but you can get it for ten bucks. You can also get Bionic Commando rearmed, which is just a remake of the original, also ten bucks. But there are some issues with that. We'll get to it. So Bionic Commando, there was an arcade version of it, but everyone agrees the NES version is in every way superior. And the way it works is this. It's a side-scrolling shooter, except you can't jump. You've got a bionic arm. It's a grappling hook. You know, think of it like Spider-Man, but you can't shoot anything out of it. It's just a grappling hook. You yeah. can use it to grab and swing. So if there's a crate in your way, you, you shoot, you know, forward at an angle and you swing past it. It's also how you get up and down from levels and so forth. Each level is part of a sort of an overarching map and you move between map locations. Every so often you'll bump into enemy, because you're in enemy territory, you'll bump into an enemy truck and then it puts you in this weird top-down mode that you sort of run through. And they're super easy. You just, you actually don't have to fire a goddamn round. You can just run right through it. <laughs> but it's a good, it's a good, but it's a good way to pick up an extra life because there's no save game. I mean, this is an NES game. Uh, the idea is you're going after some guy named Super Joe, who actually is from a previous Capcom game called Commando, I think. And you're fighting what are clearly Nazis until you defeat a guy named Master D. And when I was a kid in like 1989 and I played this and I got to Master D and they show you a picture. It's just like a face with uh, a dialogue bubble. And it was Hitler. <laughs> and I went, no one is ever going to believe this. So I went and I got my camera and, and I still have the picture. Like this is, you know, film cameras is the 80s. Yeah. Because yeah. I thought no one is ever going to believe that the, the end guy in Bionic Commando is freaking Hitler risen from the dead. But it is. It's fucking Hitler. It turns out it was always intended to be Hitler, but then they couldn't sell it in Europe, so they just changed the name. Right. Oh, uh, this is a very similar story. Huh. Why, where do I feel like I've heard that before? Yeah, well, yeah we've done this, <laughs> except you're not shooting zombies. Um, the game, you know, it's it's an excellent platformer shooter. It's it's a great game. The music is awesome. The levels are all, are all very different. You know, there's some, not puzzle elements, but knowing the proper radio to take with you because there's different colored radios and making sure right. you have the proper, uh, like there's one level, I think it's actually just one level where you have to bring a flare with you. Uh, you have to, and if you if you forget to take the flare with you, well, you can't see a damn thing and you exit through the left end of the screen and then you start the level again. And this time, <laughs> remember to take the damn flare with you. And if you don't have a flare, we'll go somewhere else where you'll find the flare. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there are some levels that are sort of neutral areas where you don't shoot. They're run by the UN. OK. Uh, and if you shoot, enemy shows up, they parachute and you have to shoot. You have to gun them down. And though in those levels, they all look the same. You just sort of you run across the landscape and you go into various rooms and you talk to people who are there. Uh, sometimes they'll give you a radio or a new piece of equipment that there's these spike boots eventually you get. So when you're swinging, you don't just knock a guy back. If you hit him, you kill him. Oh, cool. You know, there's, yeah, there's a rocket launcher and a three-way and all these different weapons. It's a really, really, really good game. It's one of the best NES games. And then they remade it. Bionic Commando rearmed. They remade every level visually. Like, it, it's the same layout, except it's much prettier. And the music is... They use the same musical tracks, but they pumped it up. And now it's sort of thumping music. It's mm -hmm. a very good soundtrack. They added a multiplayer mode, which I've never actually tried. Uh, <laughs> They made a sequel called Bionic Commando Rearmed 2 that allowed you to jump, and apparently it's just garbage. It only okay. came out for the PlayStation 3. This game originally came out in 88. The Rearmed came out in 2008. And one thing I will note before I, you know, ask you how you experienced the game, because I know you couldn't get Rearmed working, is that Bionic Commando Rearmed requires an older version of the NVIDIA PhysX engine. 
Now, if you have an NVIDIA card, you already have PhysX because it installs with the drivers. But you need a legacy version, so you go to Steam's library because it's the only place you can get it. Um, you go into their uh, forums, and there's someone has provided a link to the NVIDIA legacy drivers. For me, all I had to do was install the drivers, and the game ran just fine. But you, who have a more powerful rig, couldn't get it working. So, no. you know, if you look, you spend the ten bucks. If you can't get it working, you refund the game. Oh well, not the end of the world. So, what did you like? You played the NES version. What did you think of it? I did. Um, so, yeah, this comes back to sort of one of the fundamental problems that we've got with going back to older games. Is like I I did play the NES a little bit as a kid. We didn't actually have one. So yep. I, I played it very, very infrequently. I, I played more of like the Sega Genesis and I, I then the N64. But I I got through like the first and, and part of the second levels in Bionic Commando. It took me about like 45 minutes once I'd figured out, you know, how to play the game and how to yeah. move and how to control. I gave you a manual this time. I, 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 I read the manual, <laughs> but the manual only tells you like what buttons to press to do what things, not how yeah. to, you know, how to do the things. Yeah. So once I'd kind of gotten that all sorted out and, you know, it, it took me a, a good chunk of dying to really kind of get to grips with how the game played, um, I, I respect it. I see why it's one of the, the best NES games of all time. It makes perfect sense. I just wish that I was better at controlling NES games. And all that that is is time in with an NES gamepad. And that, that is the only thing there. It, it really, really, really makes me wish that I could have gotten Bionic Commando rearmed working because I know I would have enjoyed the hell out of it. It's the, the same damn just, game, man. It's, yeah. it's the same game with prettier graphics. Exactly, but <laughs> it would have been, you know, a, a slightly more updated uh, control scheme and I could have played no, it with... No, it's not. That's the well, thing. It's not. <laughs> but, but, like, I could have played it with, you know, my my three or my Xbox One controller and, like, it wouldn't have just been, like, the NES D-pad. Like, I'm, I know, know deep in my heart that if I'd been able to get rearmed running, I would have thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Bionic Commando on the NES as well. It was just... I don't have the time in with NES games to be able to control Bionic Commando competently because it is a very complex game. It is. It is like it's one of the best NES games ever made, and it's also one of the hardest. Mm -hmm. uh, and it it's not hard in that it's they throw like they, they don't make your life miserable. This is not Dark Souls for the NES era. Uh, <laughs> it's that it presumes that the person playing it has played a lot of NES games. Yes. You know, it's it's about knowing how. It's like knowing. Recognizing, okay, this is how I'm going to do this, and I get this, and I know when to stop retracting that arm so I'm hanging at just the right level so I can shoot here. And it's about, um, I guess it would be like if you gave someone a modern controller, how hard would it be? If they've never held a modern Xbox or, or you know, like a, a dual stick controller, like a, a PlayStation or whatever controller, how long would it take them to get used to controlling any game, even a simple one, with yeah. dual sticks? It's yeah. about what you're used to. I'm used to the NES because I grew up with it. I've, and I've been playing it ever since. But I can see how it would be a problem. It would take you longer to get into the groove of this game. Whereas for me, I went through the first two levels without thinking and mm -hmm. without dying once. It was no trouble at all. Right. Uh, but I have no idea if it's available on the on you know Nintendo Switch's store. My, I imagine it will be eventually. It's one of the best, well, most well thought of NES games out there. I strongly recommend it. And if you don't have a Nintendo product and you don't want to dive into an emulator, because that would be wrong, go get Bionic Commando rearmed from Steam and 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 find the you know the physics drivers. The worst comes to worst is you're not going to be able to run it. You'll, you'll you know you 
return the game. You get a refund. No big deal. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, the third-person Bionic Commando game, it's not a triple-A game. It's a double-A game. And it's very clear. But it's fun. It's silly. It's sort of Spider-Man without Spider-Man. And okay. so imagine if Spider-Man had a machine gun. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's fun, and for 10 bucks, Like, it's an old game. The game came out in, I think, 2010, so it's that era of games. Yeah. Um, I I don't regret the time I spent with that game. I might actually go back at some point if I didn't have a, a backlog, you know, a thousand years long. Um, <laughs> one day I might go back to it. Like, they're all good games, but the one thing with Bionic Commando Rearmed, I will say, is go onto YouTube and find the soundtrack. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to check yeah. that out because I didn't get the opportunity to listen to it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, all they did is they took the original pieces of music mm -hmm. and added a, a backbeat and a little bit of, you know, they sped up the tempo in some of them. But it's it's good music and it's the same damn game. Like you you can play Bionic Commando Rearmed and know you are getting the Bionic Commando NES experience, but with much prettier graphics. OK, it's the same damn game, but it's it's so good. Uh, yeah. So go out there, find it, buy it, give it a shot. Do you think you'll ever go back and, and take another swing at either the NES or the rearm version, assuming you can get it working? Yeah, I think the. I was just thinking about this. I think that my best bet for what would, you know, hold me the longest and, and give me the best bang for my buck is really trying to uh, get the get rearmed going. Yeah. I I think that like that is that is my ideal situation is that I could get rearmed to working. Yeah. Cause I, I know that I can, I can get the NES version working. That's fine. But it, it still comes back to, I need to pump, you know, 15 hours into the game before I feel competent with it. Just awesome. of, of, of navigating the, the control scheme and being able to, you know, manually control an NES controller with, with finesse. Because I, I mean, don't think you, 15 hours, but it would take you a bit of time to get the hang of it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it, it's going to take time in before I feel competent at playing the game. Whereas sure. I feel with um, rearmed, having you know a, a twin stick controller in my hand, I, I'd probably be more competent more quickly. Except to... that it controls identically to the original game. You can actually play rearmed on an SNES controller because you need shoulder yeah. buttons. Right. You need two more buttons than the NES controller has. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it controls identically. I'm I'm confident that it does, but. Yeah. You know, it's still just it's one of those things. Yeah. Are you um, so? Are you going to go back and take another swing at it? Do you think? I'm I'm going to do my damnedest. I'm really going to try. <laughs> and, and at some point, I'm going to go back, maybe for my my usual New Year's Eve NES marathon. I think mm -hmm. this year I'm going to throw Bionic Commando into it okay. and see how far I get in the game. Nice. I think that the one thing I will do, you know, just to cheat, is I'll find a list of which radios I have to use in each zone, so I don't have to guess. Sure. Which is nothing like being 10 minutes into a level, going into a radio room and going, ah, crap, I took the wrong radio with me. I got to do this again. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, I'll, you know, I mean, it's like three or four different radios are color coded. You just need to know which one to get. And, you know, it was it was interesting. It's sort of a game that relies on the Playground Whisper network yeah. where you know, ask him, he's gotten that far. Hey, man, which uh, which radio do you use in level 53? They're not 53 levels, but they're just their number. <laughs> kind of like, um, yeah. It's like, you know, oh, yeah, you use the use the red one in that and you use the green one in this. And don't forget to equip the flare in this one and so forth and so on. It really did rely on that. These days you just go, you know, I'm sure you could just find a guide using Google. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I'm going to play this again. I mean, this is the thing with NES games. They don't ever go away for me. No. The very no. first game we ever reviewed for this series was the Atari 2600 Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I played that two days ago. Did you? 
the very last game that we are going to review for this podcast well is this one and i'll play it tomorrow so i think that's it and we should move on yeah i think so there it is there it is so adam we come to the end this is it yeah when we got to about episode 32 33 i sent you a message and i said i think we should end this so let's taper it off at 50 and be done and i know at first you weren't sure about that and you know my reasoning at the time was we were i think we kind of made our point remember the original idea when i pitched this podcast to you was if you had a game something that you just adored and you wanted to pitch it to your friends they'd probably give you about 15 minutes at the pub to talk about it before they moved on to something else yeah and i think we've done that i think we've given our listeners a good idea of what we love in games why we love it and we've even though we both have long lists of games we haven't gotten to i think we've kind of made our point what do you think yeah i think so uh i think that we've done a a pretty good job of presenting you know games that influenced us and uh really impacted our lives over over the course of our gaming careers i mean we've talked about everything from games that came out for the atari 2700 to 2600 uh, sorry 2600 um to uh games that came out just a couple of months ago with um uh you know evil genius too like it's yeah. it's been a conversation that's spanned decades yeah and and it's funny that you put it that way that games had influenced our lives because that's absolutely the truth like i'm a hardcore gamer and i have been pretty much my whole life and it shapes the way i view cinema and the way i view tv and the way i view other media altogether um there are certain soundtracks that i associate with the nes because i would play those soundtracks in the background while i played okay and you know, there's certain types of music that I listen to because I want to relive the game in my head and they make me feel a certain way. You know, there are certain types of you know movies that I I got into because video games led me there and others that led me away, <laughs> you know, but, it, you know, games have been an immense influence on my life, which is why I wanted to do a podcast about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very much a, a similar similar thing for me. I mean, you know, video games have been incredibly formative for me. You know, it's it's influenced um, you know the way I, I philosophically think about the world, the way that I interact with other forms of media. As you'd said, you know, it, it impacts how we view uh, movies and television, and how we read, and how I listen to music. It's it, it's always for, for me, games are the one thing that I can always, 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 always come back to. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not the biggest TV guy. I don't sit down and critically watch a whole lot of, of TV series over and over again. But yeah. I'll sit down and I will very critically play a game and try and look and, and understand what it's trying to tell me and what it's trying to say about you know the world or philosophy or or anything in, in general. It's... It, it is my media of choice. Yeah, it's, you know, 
it's funny. I was listening to a podcast this morning called Love It or Leave It, which is done by the guys uh, who do Pod Save America at Crooked Media. Uh, these are a bunch of guys who used to work for the in the Obama White House, and 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 actually they were talking about video games, and they said that you know one guy pointed out that video games were initially uh, marketed as much at adults as kids, mm-hmm. but then the NES came along after the video game crash in North America and Europe, and they put them in the toy aisle. Yeah. And they mar- and and Nintendo being Nintendo markets at kids, and they still do. They're still quality games that anyone can play, but they are kiddie games. They don't make a lot of mature games. No. But video games are for adults because now you have a generation uh, that has grown up with them, who has never known a world without video games. And so there are you know there are games we've talked about that have some very serious um, themes. The Bioshock games, Spec Ops: The Line. I mean, which is obviously a remake of uh, the. Uh, the book uh, Heart uh, of Darkness, Darkness and then remade as as um, Apocalypse Now the movie um, you know so a book remade into very different genres a totally uninteractive movie experience which is wonderful and then a, an entirely interactive video game and of course Bioshock all three of them examining objectivism and communism and American exceptionalism uh, and then there's you know at the other end there's Empire Strikes Back where you fly, <laughs> you fly around and shoot at us sure uh, and that's fine. Or, you know, Jedi Fallen Order, I think we did that at one point, which is, mm-hmm. you know, examines ID is about, you know, about what happens when your world falls down around you and how do you pick up? And, you know, it's still just a, you know, it's a game where you kill people with a laser sword, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's a game for everyone. And I think, and we've reviewed a number of these games where it's clear that someone wanted this, this game, not a game like it, not a triple-A game. They wanted this game. And so they made this game. Whether you're talking about Crying Sons or Domina or the Stanley Parable or whatever. Uh, it's, you know, the gaming industry is bigger than the movie industry. I think people forget that. And at the same time, games have never been smaller. There's a game for everyone. Not everything is mass market. Not yeah. everything is Fortnite that makes $3 billion a year or whatever it is. Or yeah. a Call of Duty or Assassin's Creed. Sometimes it's the Stanley Parable. I mean, look at um, look at Stardew Valley. I mean, we talked about the story yep. behind that, how one dude sat in his bedroom for a couple of years and made this game that became an iconic hit that was a yeah. spiritual successor to, you know, classics ranging back to the NES um, that are, you know, true passion projects for people to dump, you know, years of their lives into to just make the thing that speaks to them on a deep level. Uh, and, and I hope that we've communicated that, you know, 50 episodes, I think we only had three or four discussion episodes, but that's still, you know, 40, let's say 40 games we have, or 40 episodes, which means 80 games we've discussed. Yeah. That's quite the library. And th- and there's a lot more on each of our lists. And by the way, that those lists I will post, I'll just put it all together as a screenshot i'll post it on our twitter account i'll post it on our instagram but one thing i'd said to you the other day is let's come up with a list of three or four games that if we were to do a couple more episodes these are the ones we really really wanted to do and that we just never got around to and i think we're going to go we're going to pitch them to each other a couple minutes each no big deal uh tell people why we love them where to find them um, in my case, you can get access to all four of them. In fact, three of them are free. Um, <laughs> and then we'll just sort of wrap things up. So why don't you tell me your first missed game? Well, 
unfortunately, some of these 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 were games that I kept coming back to, and I'm like, oh, I really want to do this game, but there's no way in hell I'm gonna get Farron to play this because <laughs> three of the four of them were first person games. Ah. Um, and it was okay. it's, it's it's nothing against you. They're the phenomenal games. There's always more games to talk about, but they were these were several games which I've had such a deep connection with over the years. And the first ones that I'll, I'll talk about, I think, are pinnacles of of gaming historically. Um, okay. Absolute high watermarks for game design and storytelling are Portal One and Two. I played Portal One, I think. The yeah. The game design for these is just unbelievably well done. It's it is perfect. Uh, everything like in Portal One in particular, it's it started out as a student game. There was a couple was of okay. yeah, there was a couple of students. I think I want to say out of MIT. I'm not 100 percent certain. Wasn't it a Half Life mod? Uh, yeah. So it started out as a as a Half Life mod, and it was set in a fantasy world, and it was called Narbacular Drop. And you played, I think it was like a fairy, and you could make magic portals from one place to another. Right, and Steam right. saw it and went, oh, I want that. And they picked it up. They they hired on the students. They bought out their their yeah. license to the game. And then they turned it into Portal. Yeah. And so Portal 2 came as part of the infamous, or not infamous, but famous orange box. No, that was Portal with, 1. With Team Fortress 2 and Half-Life 2. Mm -hmm. It was kind of Port a big deal. Portal, so Portal one, one or two. It was Portal One that was in the okay. in the orange box. Uh, Portal right. Two came a little bit, a couple of years later, um, in like 2011, 2010, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. and that game it, is still like. Do you know that they just added Portal DLC to Evil Genius Two a few uh, a few months ago? <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, like it's uh, these games are iconic. Like they they're are. really like, they're meme worthy, unfortunately, but yeah, they're iconic. Like at Portal One. You, you can go and you can actually listen to developer commentary throughout the entire game. And yep. there are these little floating speech bubbles and one of the devs will talk to you about something. And just hearing like, well, we had to figure out why players weren't looking up. And apparently I, I learned this from, from just playing these games, listening to the dev commentaries is one of the hardest things to do in a video game is get your player to look up. Yep. Um, not look down, not look around them because they're not interacting with the things that are up. Yep. So it's just the the everything from the sound of the portal gun to the physics of how you physically move from one point in space to another and to be able to see through it and to make yep. these puzzles work to convey the sense of this is what you need to do with this groundbreaking title that absolutely blew people's minds when this came out like it was like you said it was incredible it was famous it was it was this puzzle game that absolutely changed how video games were, were developed and portal 2 portal 2 is just more portal with more acting it is if you like portal 1 you like portal 2 so where it, do you get these games these these you can both find on steam um i want to say you can pick up portal 1 for like 10 bucks and portal 2 for 15 bucks at this point in time you can probably find them in a bundle they are okay. iconic they are uh steam original games so they'll they'll always have them on steam very very cool um, yeah yeah so okay so my first game uh you would never ever play but it is also <laughs> iconic and that's dune 2. okay uh, it, it was west it came up from westwood studios this is before warcraft one this is before the original command and conquer mm -hmm. it's the original real-time strategy game okay 
and you can actually find it today. It's called Dune 2 Legacy. Someone essentially reprogrammed it with better, not better graphics, but higher res, and it runs on a modern system. And they themselves remade it using the Command and Conquer engine. They called it Dune 2000, which you can find if you Google OpenRA. It stands for Open Red Alert. Okay. It's what it was. Is they got the source code for Command and Conquer whatever uh, that was used for Red Alert and for Dune 2000. And so you can just download the module, and, and that's all free. Okay. Uh, you know, Dune 2 was the the stereotypical real-time strategy game. I mean, it's not the stereotypical. It's the first one. Build a base. Build units. Uh, but it had the something that has never... It's never... It, like Because it's set on Arrakis, uh, you know, you're harvesting the spice on the sand. That attracts worms. Which means that you, you have to have a carry-all that'll come and pick it up. And that's all automatic. But... Of course, the enemy can come and shoot your carryalls out of the air, and so that's a way to deny them access to resources. And you know, because you can only build on the rocky areas, and you have to go between rocky areas to the sands to attack your enemy. Of course, it's a risk because tanks are, you know, they tend to piss off worms that get eaten. Um, it's the very first game of its type. It, it's I played the hell out of this. Like it didn't come with a skirmish mode or anything like this. It came with like six scenarios. So if you wanted to play with all of the units, you played the last scenario over and over and over and over again. Um, now, you know, with Dune 2 Legacy, they've added a skirmish mode and stuff like that. Uh, you can get it for free if you're an RTS gamer and you've not played this, you owe it to yourself to take the 15 minutes to track it down and install it and give it a go. Uh, Dune 2000, it's, you know, it's a slightly prettier game as it uses the uh, the Command and Conquer engine as opposed to the original engine. And I remember even at the time, reviews said, what was the point of this game? Like, why would you just play the original? Right. Um, all they did is, again, they, you know, Westwood made this game and then went on to make Command and Conquer. Mm -hmm. And then that sort of, between that and, and um, uh, uh, Blizzard's Warcraft Orcs versus Humans, they sort of set the way this game would be. Dune 2 is the progenitor of all that. And by the way, the reason it's called Dune 2 is that a French company called Cryo made a game called Dune, which was an adventure slash strategy game. Okay. Uh, by the way, the soundtrack for that game by Stefan Pico, you can it's called the Spice Offer. You can find it on uh, YouTube. It's fabulous. It's a great game in its own right. And the games came out within a few months of each other. So they just decided, okay, we'll just call this one Dune 2. And that's it. There is not a <laughs> Dune 1 RTS game. It's just two games based on Dune uh, that came out at more or less the same time and one of them was stuck with Dune 2 but it's a great game uh, and there's a version for the consoles which I've never played called Battle for Arrakis okay because this one's called Dune 2 the building of a legacy yeah whatever yeah. Um, but it's a good game and I mean you know it's one of those games the reason I think that Westwood hasn't put it out again the way they did Command and Conquer uh, remastered is because it's Dune and that's tied up in all sorts of copyrights with yeah. the sun. And of course, the wonderful new movie, uh, new movie. And, you know, I'm hoping someone will say, hey, man, can we just like make a modern version of this and put it out? Like, I wish someone would do that. But in the meantime, Dune 2 Legacy or Open RA for Dune 2000, go get them. So, yeah. yeah. So, so what's cool. your next one? Um, the next one that I had, um, I didn't. I, I, I didn't suggest this one for two reasons. One, because, you know, first person. Um, and two, I don't know how you feel about the deep ocean. What's the game? Uh, Subnautica. 
I would love to play it. And if it were third person, I'd be all over it. Ah, all right. So yep. yeah, this, this is one that I actually, I think I only bumbled into it like last year when yep. uh, the the murmurings about Subnautica 2 uh, Below Zero uh, had started to kind of like, okay, well, it's coming out. And so I, I jumped into it and I immediately fell in love. It's this survival crafting game where you are, you're dumped on this ocean planet and you need to survive and you need to find a way off. And it's, it is beautiful and breathtaking and smart and challenging and fun and horrifying in a deep, deep, <laughs> deep way because yeah. there is nothing scarier than having to take your submersible vehicle a little bit deeper than you can swim normally as a person and then going around a dark corner and seeing this giant leviathan of a sea snake standing in front of you and ready to chomp your ship in half. And it's wow. incredible the music is outstanding it it doesn't really need all that much of a story but the story is there you just have to go find it you have to listen yeah. to the audio logs and pay attention and it's this it, it even has this this background story of like hey you're on this weird alien planet yeah you're getting infected by some weird alien parasitic life form you need to figure mm -hmm. out how to deal with that as you're trying to get your way off this planet you know it's even early on in the game you you think you found a way off and nope <laughs> sorry you're you're <laughs> sol now it's it, it the game itself the the story kind of carries on in the it, it's it's interesting because there's hard markers for what progressed the story in this game but you don't really notice them it's just like it feels like you're playing a survival game and the story is progressing in real time very 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 cool feeling absolutely adored it it is something that you can just quite literally get lost in for yeah. as long as you want and yeah, it, it was it's really good oh it is beautiful and below zero is more of the same with more mechanics and now you're dealing with being in an arctic water situation where you're having to deal with below zero temperatures and different kinds of creatures and it's the below zero i haven't gotten to yet but man does it ever make me excited because i i honestly the the survival crafting games are not ones that always resonate with me sometimes yeah. they just feel very hollow Right. This Subnautica felt like so much of a standout. It, it felt full and complete, and there weren't just like dead ends. There was always something that was leading you forward. There was always a reason to go somewhere beyond. You need to go get the the next level of metal to build the next level of sword to survive the next level of enemy. And it's just so well crafted and you can find these games uh, i know you can find them on steam i believe you can actually also find them for console but let me okay. fact check myself on that really quickly there and i think they're on epic and gog as well I think. uh so yeah so for for platforms you know, playstation 4 xbox one ps5 xbox series x and s uh, nintendo switch Windows. yeah you can wherever you want to find these things you can you, you can find, find them there fair enough all right, so my next game I discovered, to my surprise, or I, maybe I just forgotten, is free on Steam. <laughs> it's called Brink. It's a first-person shooter. It was made by Splash Damage. They went on to make a, a multiplayer game called Dirty Bomb with the same oh, yeah. style. Yeah, it's it's got a it's got an interesting art style to it. Mm -hmm. Brink is a first-person shooter that's unique for a, a few reasons, or at least it was unique when it came out. The first is it included parkour. 
-hmm. really well done parkour. This is before Mirror's Edge. The second was that it didn't, I mean, it had a single player campaign, but really what it was is there were, I think it was six or eight maps take place on this floating city, sort of post-apocalyptic. And the way it works, it, Titanfall did this later. You, you make a character, you actually make two characters and they all contribute, it doesn't matter which one you play, they contribute to your stats because it's, all, it's mostly a multiplayer game. Uh, you choose the rebel or the police. And if you're the rebel, you start in the in the slums and you make your way to the airport. If you're the cops, you, you start at the airport and you make your way to the slums. And it tells two stories uh, about seizing or fighting for control of this floating city. Um, the game has tons of weapons that you choose. Uh, it's a visually stunning game. Uh, it, it's class-based. And I'd be shocked if you could find a multiplayer game at this point, frankly. But the AI is pretty good. The bots are pretty decent. Um, and, you know, there's something very cool about running through an airport and sliding up and down the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the baggage elevators or the baggage oh, yeah. uh, trams and that sort of thing. And then going into a back room and then, you know, going over the wall here. And it's all about speed. It's about moving mm. quickly. And yes, there are sniper rifles, but no one in their right mind uses them because you have to stop <laughs> using them. And it's just go, go, go. And there's escort missions and, and defeat missions. And, you know, you can revive guys and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, the engineers have turrets and all that. And it's got kind of an interesting look that only the French would have chosen that art style. Just the way the faces look. <laughs> not a, It's not a criticism. It's just it's very culturally specific to the French, but it's very cool looking. Uh, the game is free. Download it, give it a try. There is like seven bucks Canadian worth of DLC. It just adds some more options, and I think it adds an extra uh, map or okay. two. You know, if you like the game, throw them the seven bucks, play the game. It's a lot of fun, and it's one of those games I sorely, sorely miss it because I can't play first-person shooters anymore, um, just because I get so I get so dizzy. But I would I would kill to play this again, and for free, you are missing nothing to go on to Steam and get this game. Brink. So, yeah. So what's your next one? Cool. Uh, my next one was actually another walking simulator, uh, <laughs> sort of in, in the vein of the Stanley Parable, but not. It's called Firewatch. Oh, this is, yes. We talked about this. Yeah. We did. Yeah. I I'd, I'd, I'd pitched it to you originally, and you just said, no, there's there's no way I'm going to be able to get through it. So yep. this is... And I, I would love to. If it was third person, I'd be all over it. it looks oh, like man. Game. It's, it's beautiful. It's so atmospheric it's it's zero action whatsoever it's you uh you go through a, a brief narrative storyline at the beginning explaining you know you make some decisions about who your character is and why he's chosen to do the things that he has and then he packs up and goes out to uh i think it's uh yellowstone and he spends the summer being a, a firewatch ranger and you live in a firewatch tower and you just sort of do things that are you know in in the park you you go and deal with a couple of teenagers who are down setting off fireworks by the lake early on and it slowly devolves into a bit more of a mystery and you have one other person that's out there the only other person that you interact with you interact with by radio um it's just it's so beautiful the art style of this game is yeah. one of those games where you can just take a screenshot and that is that is desktop wallpaper worthy yeah um if you have $15 to spare and you need a game that is very chill and very interesting and very fun to just wander around in and explore, 
go get it. It's it's another game that's got a developer commentary, which I just adored listening to. Um, I've, I've come to find that about myself. I, I like listening to director and developer commentaries to kind of see the, the process that went into this thing that I just really enjoyed. And there's there's moments in this game that are potentially kind of frightening, but it's just part of this little mystery that you wind up solving. And I honestly, I cannot recommend it enough. It's anybody can play this game. So long as you can use WASD to move and mouse to look around, you can play this and get through it. It is for anybody so long as you don't get motion sickness from first person perspectives. Um, Very cool. So where do you get it? uh, Yeah, so you can... Uh, as far as I know, this is this is a, a Steam game, but I would imagine it's probably available on on consoles as well and on Epic. Um, but this is where I definitely find it is on Steam. So, yeah, what? Tell me about uh, about one of yours. So this is uh, the next one I'm going to recommend. It's actually a part one and part two. They come as a package from GOG for seven dollars and fifty cents. This is one of the ones I think you would have not enjoyed it just because it's old. It's from the, well, from my high school years, from the early <laughs> 90s. And that's Wing Commander 1 and 2. Okay. Uh, these are done by Chris Roberts, Roberts who is yeah. currently stuck in the endless black hole of Star Citizen. <laughs> um, and, you know, the idea is it's a space fighter simulator where you are a pilot who has no name. Um, everyone just calls him blue hair because that was just the art style. His black hair was blue. So okay. when they made the third game, they, they did full motion video and they had Mark Hamill play the character and they had to give him a name. So blue hair became Blair, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the idea is you're on the, the tiger's claw, which is a space carrier. You're in the midst of a war against the Kilrathi who are like cat people. And it's, you know, you go out, you, you deploy in a fighter, you do escort missions, defense missions, attack missions, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you get to eventually you'll get to choose the type of fighter and the type of armaments you have. Um, he went for a very cinematic look, whereas the TIE fighter and X-Wing games were 3D and they look like ass, but they played beautifully. This one went for a more cinematic look and it's all sprites. So it looks awful, okay. but the music is amazing. You know, between missions, you'll get a static image of uh, the Tiger's Claw, the Tiger Claw's pilot's lounge where you'll talk to people. You get to know these characters. You have relationships with them, like friendships, and in some case, more. Um, there's always two, like, people can die. There's always a fail state to a mission, and it's a mission tree. So if you lose this mission, the game isn't over and you start again. You go to a fallback set of missions, and okay. so it could very well end with the humans losing the war. In which case, yeah, you got to start again. But the idea is you can go back and forth and back and forth. So it is a mission tree. It tells an interesting story. It has an arcade mode, which is a little ar- literal arcade game in the pilot's lounge where you oh, just nice. play like a simulator. Yeah. Um, it actually became uh, a requested feature. They put out a, game, a quick turnaround game called Wing Commander Academy, which is just you build scenarios. I want to fly this with this and, and, and I want them to fly this with a squadron of that and you go for it. It's a make your own mission sort of thing. Oh, and cool. they did it again with um, Wing Commander Armada, which is like that, but they added sort of a strategic overlay to the game. And okay. you can get all this. It's only on GOG. Um, there was a Wing Commander 3 and a Wing Commander 4, but I never bothered with those because they were full motion video games. And they look terrible. Well, Wing Commander 1 and 2 I honestly would love to see someone remake these games, but 
to leave all the non-combat stuff alone. Right. Don't change the art at all, because it totally holds up. Yes, it's 8-bit art, but it's gorgeous. But remake the fighter simulator part of it. Right. Like, I would pay full price for Wing Commander 1 and 2 reboot. I would do it in a second. Um, if you like fighter games, if you enjoyed Star Wars Squadrons, if you enjoy Star Citizen, if you enjoy Elite Dangerous, if you like space fighter games, spend 750 on GOG for Wing Commander 1 and 2 and play them. And, you know, they both came with uh, a DLC packs. It tells an honestly compelling story. These things go very sideways at the very end, sort of like five minutes after the end of Wing Commander 1. Things <laughs> go sideways, and you get yeah. to learn that at the beginning of Wing Commander 2. Okay. Um, it tells an interesting story. It is the first real attempt at making a cinematic experience out of a fighter game. And I think they, they like, there's a reason why Chris Roberts, despite the shit show that is Star Citizen, he's been so respected over the decades. These are the games that are why. Yeah. So go buy those. So, so what's your next game? Well, this is this is my last one, and this is this is actually a series. Um, we never got around to it, which you know is is a little bit sad but i'm not it, there were other games that i wanted to get to more um yep. and this is the prince of persia series oh yes yes i love those they, games they were phenomenal i played uh, the, prince, the trilogy yes the, the trilogy on the 360 or sorry on the xbox yeah so that was with sands of time warrior within two warriors or two warrior within warriors. and then warrior within uh the, two thrones two thrones that's what it was i own all of those they're wonderful games they absolutely are. I played uh, uh, Sands of Time first, and you know, I I loved just the character development in those yeah. games because the prince is a prick, and everybody knows he's a prick, <laughs> but the prince doesn't know he's a prick. <laughs> like, yeah, but the he, princess does. <laughs> the princess does, and, and she tells him, yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. Th there's a very specific scene in that game where like the prince goes, "Oh, she she called me my love. She must want to marry me." Yeah, well, yeah. I'll have to marry yeah. her and tame her then, and just moves on with his day. Like you just, ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. and the gameplay They're so good, yeah. Oh, so so good. The gameplay in these games is amazing. This this wild parkour through uh, through the world with time travel elements where you could rewind time when you goofed something up because you always goofed something up because there was no way for you to know that the you know, the segment of wall ahead of you that you were going to jump onto would flip around and turn into spikes while you were in midair. So you and I love how it. you died. It goes, no, that's not how it happened. Let's try yeah. that again. Yeah. He's away. telling you a story. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, I like. They're remaking uh, Sands of Time, by the way. It's being remade. Yes, yes. Remastered, whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I'm I'm really excited for that. Uh, Warrior Within was this weird, dark, edgy emo <laughs> thing that, like, yeah. you know what? Truth be told, I probably put more time into Warrior Within because that hit at the right time for me. Oh uh, uh, yeah. I I was like, you know. Uh, 15, 16 years old at the time. Like, oh yeah, this is brah, this is awesome. So angsty. That's what Two Thrones was about, right? Yeah. Because people, because they realized that they went way too emo and dark with the second one. Yeah. So they said in the third one, well, he's actually a different character and he's a split personality. Yeah. I've never seen a company roll with a mistake as well as these guys did. Oh, so good. It yeah. was just. Yeah. I they... love these games. They took the punches and they rolled with it. The combat never stopped being outstanding. The combat was good in one, and then it was awesome in two, and then it was amazing in three. 
Like, oh yeah, yeah. These are amazing games. Now, you know, it's funny. Now you mention them. God damn it! Now I want to go play those too. <laughs> they're, they're, and they made it. They made another one which wasn't quite as good. It had a more of a hand-drawn look to it, and yeah. I owned it. I never got around to playing it, but these are great. And you know, Assassin's Creed started as a Prince of Persia game. Yep, it did. Yeah. Um, oh. No, these are great games. Yeah, I, I actually regret we didn't do those because I think that would have been like a long episode. That probably would have been. Yeah. Oh, it would have been great to to go back and, and just chunk through little bits of those at the time. But yeah, so uh, you can find those on Steam. You can, I mean, hey, if you've got an original Xbox or PlayStation 2, I think you can. No, sorry. They were play, Xbox and 360. I think uh, Two Thrones was 360. Yeah, you can get them on Ubisoft's store you can get them on steam you okay. can get them anywhere these are yeah. old games gog has them um, okay yeah it's funny because they they remastered it years ago for the playstation 3 mm-hmm. and it looked terrible yeah but it's all based on the game we've actually talked about the guy who created the original one jordan mector he did uh jordan oh, yeah, yeah. yeah he did uh last express the original prince of persia was a side scroller with motion capture, and that's also worth playing just for the interesting, you know, the, like the interesting value, uh, the historical value of it. Yeah, yeah, but no, these games are third person. They're great games, and the the time mechanic with the dagger of time is mm-hmm. very cool. And it's they're they, those games totally hold up. You could you don't need to wait for the remaster. Just go play the game. Yeah, play like, absolutely. Go go play it. I think that it was. I think like in the trilogy collection, you could go back and play a remade version of the original Prince of Persia. Oh, okay. Where it was okay. like it used the the 3D elements from the the current games, but just like remade the original, where it was the 2D side like scrolling. 2.5D. Yeah. 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 Sounds like oh. Bionic Commando rearmed, actually. Same sort of thing. More or less. Yeah. Very, very, very good. Uh, so tell me about your last one. Okay, so my last one. Uh, it's called Siege Dogs of War. Siege was the original game. Dogs of War was the expansion, which you know, then changed the name of the game. And it's from a company long gone called Mindcraft. M-I-N-D, Craft. Mm-hmm. And I mention that because if you try and Google it, it'll say, do you mean Minecraft? No, I don't. <laughs> um, so Mindcraft made some amazing, amazing games that were there. I mean, they're very crude by today's standards, but they were brilliant. And Siege was my favorite. I played this in grade 11 and 12 and just played the hell out of it. It's a it's a fantasy castle siege game. And to give you an idea of how crude this game is, the uh, the map of each of these eight or nine castles, which are based on a fantasy series they've made a bunch of games from, it's just an image. Like, you can edit them. I think they're JPEGs. Oh, really? BMPs. But I mean, you can edit them all you want, but they're programmed. They have layers of programming in them, so you can edit the wall, but the you know it still knows where the ramparts are and still knows where the gates are. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you create these. You know, you you're either defense or attack, and if you're attack, you've got a command tent somewhere off in the corner of the map, and you assemble units of fifty one to fifty, and you have you know archers and and swordsmen and shields and blah blah blah, elves and orcs and trolls and all of that, and you have things like uh, boiling oil, so you can defend. You have siege towers and uh, ladders and battering rams and all that good stuff <clears throat> and the the idea is simple like there's scenarios but the, but like every game from the 80s and 90s there's a scenario editor and it's simple if you're in defense if you're the defense you have to defend your flag if you're the offense you have to capture the flag and bring it back to your uh, tent the game has a day night cycle because at night the battle stops so you want to get your troops back to your command tent before nightfall, because then they'll heal. Oh, okay. 
otherwise overnight they degrade a little bit because they're tired and they're stuck in enemy territory sure um that's only true for the attackers by the way not really for the defenders you just have to keep them inside the city walls and you're good or the castle walls um these are all sprites it's all top down so you're only seeing them turned left right front or back and there's an attack animation but that's it okay. but the game had this hilarious sense of humor so in addition to all the magic users and all of that if you access the the scenario editor you have access to flying pigs <laughs> and war chickens that's awesome and battle cattle and battle my cattle. favorite unit ever defense lawyers oh really <laughs> these are dudes in suits with briefcases and they're combustible magic users and defense lawyers when you kill them they explode and they kill everything in the tile beside them okay. which is fine if you deploy a group of five of them but if you deploy a group of 50 of them and one of them gets killed you get this sea of fire and <laughs> you could it could do some serious damage to everything around you like your archers and swordsmen the game is not meant to be taken seriously but it's a lot of fun and i put in it's got to be adam thousands of hours now, part of that is there were fewer games back then, and this sure. is what I got. But I remember buying this game and sitting the day before Christmas break, the last day in grade 12 at Lord Beaverbrook High School, and I was the only kid in the class because everyone else skipped. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my English teacher, Ms. Holland, and I'm reading through the Dogs of War manual. And I'm telling her about it, and I'm pitching her on this game, and she doesn't give a flying fuck. But I was <laughs> so pumped by this game, just the idea of it and how cool it sounded, and... Man, I loved it. It was an amazing game. Now, this one's a little tougher to get. It's an old DOS box game. But oh, there's an yeah. old term that some of our older listeners will know called abandonware. Mm. This refers to games mostly from the 80s and 90s that have been abandoned by their publisher. You cannot find them anywhere. So, and there's no legal basis for this. But the, the idea is it's abandoned. Go nuts. Yeah. Well, you can try and run the game yourself using DOS box, which is what GOG uses a lot of the time. Yeah. But a lot of abandonware sites allow you to run DOSBox in a browser. So you can play the game right off their site in your browser. Chrome works really well, or at least you used to. So go find Siege. For some reason, the copy that's available on abandonware sites doesn't include Dogs of War. So there are fewer castles and units. But the game is still amazing. Now, let's be clear. This game looks awful by any <laughs> modern standard. In fact, while we're talking, Google it so you can see, so you know yeah. what I'm talking about. I'm just doing Siege that Dogs of War Minecraft. And you'll see this game does not look pretty. But it's amazing. You find right. it? Uh, I think that I need to not... Oh, that's why. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it. That is... Uh... Yeah. It's, it's an ugly-looking game, but it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um. And I chose this as the last game I wanted to talk about that I really wanted us to do because I want to sort of wrap things up with this. This game is, by any modern standard, kind of ugly, but I adore it. And I still play it once in a while. It's hard just because it's the, uh, the interface is very janky. This is before mice were a common thing to be had on a, on, a, on a computer. Right. You've suggested games that we've played, like Star Wars Racer, that looks like ass. And I've suggested games that look terrible as well. And we talked about Rules of Engagement 1, remember that? And and just how brutal that interface was, despite the fact that it had been adopted for a, a modern computer system. And I think if people get nothing else out of this podcast series, it's this. Just because people don't like the look of the game or the gameplay, or they say, you know, this game is boring, or this game has a bad mechanic. 
if the game has meaning to you, then it's a good game. And never, ever let anyone tell you, don't play this game because it sucks. No, no, no. I mean, obviously, if the game, if the game is a crash, it's a crash fest and it's a bug fest and, you know, it's getting 1% ratings and maybe you should think twice. <laughs> but the best example I can give is every time I hear someone say, oh, it's another Ubisoft open world game and you know how they do things. Most people say that and they mean it as a criticism, but I say, cool. I like those games. I like the Ubisoft open world concept and I like the way they play it. And I, I play the Watch Dogs games and the, and, and the most recent uh, uh, Ghost Recon games, Wildland and, and uh, Breakpoint and Immortal Phoenix Rising. I'm definitely going to get into that. And Assassin's Creed, I adore. I like those games. So here's what it comes down to. Someone put it perfectly. They were talking about movies. Just let people like stuff. Whatever you like, you like. Now, do, did I love Star Wars Racer? No, because it looks like t it looks terrible to me because I don't like that era of games. But there's a whole group of people from your generation for whom it's beautiful. You know what I mean? And I had one of those games too, Bushido Blade. Same era. Looks yeah. just as bad, but I love <laughs> it. You know, the NES, that's my sweet spot. But it doesn't do it for you in the same way it does for me. And why would it? I grew up on those games. You grew up on a different generation. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, we recommended games to each other and some of them one of us liked and the other didn't. Some of them we both loved, like we just talked about Prince of Persia and how much we both love it. And there's other games where like, yeah, you couldn't make me play this again at gunpoint. <laughs> but ultimately, I think it comes down to this. Whatever you like, there's a game out there for you. And never, ever apologize for liking what you like, even if you're the only person on Earth who likes it. Yeah. Because that's the beauty of video games, especially in the modern era. There is something for everyone. So is there any final thoughts you want to leave us with? We spent the last year talking about games that we've loved. Games that have shaped us. Games that have made us who we are. And you know, as, as we've said, these are uh, the formative games for us. I think the, the big one for me was the Legend of Zelda series. Mm -hmm. And... You, as you as you so well put it, not every game is for everyone, and that's okay. And that's what makes games unique. That's what makes them special. It's the same way that not every book is for everyone, not every movie is for everyone, not every song is for everyone. We all have our individual tastes. And if nothing else, I think that this podcast has exemplified sharing that knowledge, sharing our tastes, sharing what we like and what we dislike and doing it in a healthy way and having a healthy conversation about these things and having yeah. a sane rational conversation you can like something that nobody else likes and you can try and share it with them and that person can respond in a perfectly normal way and say nah not for me and that's okay that's fine yeah. baron and i we're we're still gonna be friends long after this podcast is done yeah. and uh I'm never going to like a lot of the games that Farron plays, and Farron is never going to like a lot of the games that I play. And that's okay, because we can still find a middle ground. Yeah. And uh, that is probably one of the best things about video games, is there's always some middle ground to be found. Yeah, yeah. And, there's so, and, and, there's so, and even if you can't find the middle ground, there's something you're going to like. Mm -hmm. You know, I hope that for every episode, we converted a few people and and maybe we you know maybe we threw some business to some people who said you know like I, i'm going to try that game i didn't i didn't know it existed or I, I never thought to try it and even if 
you listen to an episode and neither game interests you, maybe it makes you think of another game mm-hmm. that then you'll go try. Because you know, I've said that, like when we played Dark Souls, like why am I yeah. not just playing For Honor? So yeah. maybe, maybe that's what it does. The whole idea at the beginning of this was, let me tell you about a game I love in 15 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. And I hope we have given people new games to love. So yeah. I think we should just sort of leave it there. Yeah, I think that's it. So there, there it is. It is.